So now we're just wait, waiting for Kirk. Where is he? I don't know. He's probably out helping Coney round up children. <laughs> How do you find those children if they're invisible? Well, that's what I was wondering. <laughs> oh, wait, there's Kirk. Do you need secret? Do you, I mean, do you need special glasses? Tim, Tim thinks you're out um, rounding up children for Coney. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. I have not but watched. That's what that's what we would expect you to say for helping out a warlord. So they run up these children. They take them to Coney Island. Is that what they do? Something like that. I don't know. I I thought K O N Y was some New York radio station. Yeah, I did too. I just and that's why I didn't pay attention to it because I just figured it was some sort of another New York media thing that I really didn't give a shit about. But um, <clears throat> yeah. I just want to know if they caught him yet and arrested him and brought him to the International Tribunal of Justice. <laughs> because a viral campaign, let, let's be honest, a viral campaign always, always gets their man. What's the, what's the deal? Why did Obama think he needed to start screwing with the time all of a sudden? Yeah, because Daylight Savings Time was an Obama initiative. Goddamn uh, socialist. Yeah, uh, obviously it was retroactive back to uh, kind of World War One. Oh, there you go, bringing up the past. He's president. It's his responsibility. He needs to own it. Right. So he needs Anything to... Anything else is just an excuse. You guys are forgetting a very important point. He's got this all figured out. Just like a week before the election, he's going to give us the time back. Ooh, and then he's going to. Then people are going to say, "Oh, thank you, Mr. President." Exactly. Yes, our hour back. Boom! It's 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 a perfect perfect eleventh hour surprise. I ha- I can start walking again in two more weeks. Jesus! When no weight. You- no weight on my left leg for the first month. So you you come off the disabled list in two weeks. No, that's not awesome. <laughs> I, that means my rehab will move to this portion of the programming where I can actually put weight on my leg and begin like learning how to walk again. <clears throat> Jim, where are we sending Kirk for rehab? Where is he going to do his rehab stint? Well, I think he has to do at least a start with single A, and then maybe if he's if it looks like his bats are good, then we'll send him to to triple A. Uh, yeah, probably to Fresno. No, well, we, do we? Yes, of course, we want to send Kirk to Fresno. <laughs> yeah, the Grizzlies. They'll take him. I'll take celebrity rehab instead. Hmm. That's for the painkillers. That's a different rehab. <laughs> I could go through both kinds of rehab simultaneously. <laughs> well, this is the first. This is our new reality show. It's called Rehab Squared. Re- rehab Rehab. Rehab Rehab. Rehab Rehab. <laughs> Starring Kirk Biglioni. And Kirk Biglioni. It's 2.13 in the afternoon on Sunday, March 11th, 2012. And that means it's time for the triumphant return of the Medialoper Bebop. Tonight, are ebook prices fixed? The Department of Justice thinks so, and they're considering a lawsuit against Apple and some major book publishers. Then, musical artists are asking Rush Limbaugh to please stop using their music on his show. Should he? All that and what's in Kirk's mix on Medialoper Bebop, episode 32. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Jim Connolly, and this afternoon I'm sponsored by Anchor Brewing Company's Breckles Brown All Malt Single Hop Brown Ale. This stuff's amazing, guys. 
And with me, as always, are the still woozy from the time change, Tim Gaskell. Yep, Pacific, on Pacific time plus 60 minutes. And hopped up on the goofballs, Kirk Biglione. Stone IPA. Are you drinking? I feel like I need a beer here. I don't have a beer. I have water. Oh, good God. It's after, with me? It's after 11. It's after 2. I know. Huh, okay. 2 o'clock is the new 3 o'clock. Actually, 2 o'clock is the new 1 o'clock. It depends on your perspective and your time zone. This is the first time in eight years I haven't been in Austin for the time change. Oh, yes, I was going to say. And what's your excuse? Yeah. I had surgery. I can't walk. I think there, there's a whole there, – there was a whole um, kind of meetup with people in Austin who go every year and couldn't this year who had their knees replaced. You could have gone to Austin and been a guest on the Audio Assault podcast. Right. You could have tweeted it. Yeah. You could have done a Pinterest board and done all these pics of... I mean, I mean, just because you can't walk, do you think you're the only person there in Austin right now who couldn't walk? Yeah. I, I mean, it's a liberal pinko commie city. Of course they have ramps and stuff. With, with Yeah, it's no. there's no problem with accessibility in Austin. It's just the fact that there are 50,000 goddamn people in the downtown area, and it's impossible to move even when you are mobile. And as it turns out, this is the first South by Southwest in recent memory where it's just been raining nonstop. So, so but, made it even, that would have made it even worse. Oh, well, so, so you're totally missing the point. In a wheelchair, you could you could have gone to all the music and be upfront for all the shows because you're a guy in a wheelchair. You could yeah. have you could have had well, Cassie. You could have had great parking. parking. You could have had people get out of your way for stuff. You could just go, hey, out of my way! I'm in a wheelchair. Except for the part where I go for interactive and not music, which is an entirely different conference. No, no, no. I think I think you did this all wrong, Kirk. You could have blogged the whole thing. Yeah. You could have gone viral with it. Um, you know, it's just, but yeah, here you are, you're sitting at home trying to elicit sympathy. It's just, uh, it's, it's disgusting on, on a goddamn podcast of all things. Wow. You're the one who brought it up with your time change. Daylight savings time. No, daylight savings. By the way, it's saving. Well, it's, I'm looking at, I read that from the email you sent with the topics we're going to talk about. You put daylight savings controversy. Tim wrote daylight savings controversy. Yeah, because this the is reason from, it's... This is from you. It's controversial for many, 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 many reasons. I'll give you at least two. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, so... I think we have time for five or six. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> savings, you know, because... Saving! You get the extra hour out of, you know, the worker, so they call it daylight slaving time, because, you know, the... <clears throat> you can... Jobs like working, I guess, working the street, getting the streets repaired, uh, delivering mail or whatever, you can work later now because it's lighter. And the other problem is... Wait, well, how's that a problem? Because it's making people work, Jim. So this is America. People are supposed to work. What kind of... God damn it, what kind of commie are you? You should get paid to not overwork, though. You should do your... You, you should do your eight hours, and that is it. No more. The other problem is that when 
the clocks go forward, that hour of darkness in the morning causes millions and millions of car crashes. So when you drive to work on Monday morning, you will encounter a car crash. The odds are in your favor. I live in Glendale. I encounter car crashes every day. Well, then you'll see like 10. I I really don't think I'm going to see one on the way to work tomorrow, Tim. Outside, just okay. You just sit by your front window because you can't do anything else, apparently. (laughs) I will be working. I will be at my so-called desk. Why don't you get my lap desk? Why don't you get a pair of binoculars and spy on your neighbor like Jimmy Stewart and see what goes on. You'd be surprised. You could maybe do a little viral video of, you know, and call it uh, like front window or something. And you could, you could have this whole new meme set up that totally capitalizes on your handicap. No, it's 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 his handicapable Tim. Handicapable. Disability. By the way, I want twenty five percent disability. I thought you were politically correct, Tim. Uh, and your speech is so full of so many hate words, negative stereotypes, and hate words. You're, but you're when you say politically correct, you're talking about my Facebook persona, and. That's something totally that's something totally made up. So, I have little knowledge of your Facebook persona, Tim. Exactly. See, that's why you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Maybe Tim's the one. This is how this is how bad it's going. Ready? (laughs) And then the battery dies. Oakland A's. Second second beer already. This week, the Wall Street Journal reported that the, that the Department of Justice was thinking about suing Apple and some of the major book publishers over price fixing. Kirk, you've been out on assignment for the past few weeks reporting on this. What can you tell us? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, the snapshot, and then I'll give you the backstory if you need to know it, is that um, e-books are a thing. <laughs> oh, I've heard and of publish, them. And publishers never thought that e- ebooks would be a thing, but now suddenly ebooks are a thing. And um, Amazon, it turns out, is pretty good at making ebook devices and selling them, lots of them, along with ebooks. Lots of ebooks. I have, I have them. I have a few. Publishers' business model is built around doing things a different way. It is to their advantage to see a slower uptake of ebooks. Um, they were incredibly unhappy with the fact that Amazon was selling ebooks for $9.99. Right. They thought thought it was much too low. It turns out that some people thought that much $9.99 was too high. Some people thought ebooks should be cheaper than that. So in some respects, Amazon was actually raising a lot of people's value of what an ebook should cost. Anyway... Amazon pretty much had unilateral power to price ebooks at whatever price they wanted because of the way the weird business of book selling is done. They were able to extend the wholesale pricing model to the digital realm and wholesale pricing I won't get into, but it's all mixed up and it's a disaster and no one no one would ever run a business where you expect it to make money the way wholesale print publishing had been run 
Um, so, so clearly a change needed to take place with pricing as they moved into the digital realm because you don't have things like returns, you don't have inventory, there's no incremental cost per unit once the book is produced. So anyway, publishers couldn't do anything to get Amazon to raise prices because Amazon was dealing on the old contract where they could price the books at whatever they wanted to because booksellers can price books, print books at whatever they want to, lose however much money they want to lose. Apple comes along with this thing called the iPad. You may have heard of it. Ooh, I got one of those. Got one right here. Two years ago, the big thing was iPad 1. And um, when the iPad was announced at the event, before it went on, like three months before it went on sale, there was a video that showed up on the web that just was like jaw-dropping. It was Steve Jobs going to Walt Mossberg in the audience immediately after the event to ask him what he thought of the iPad because he, you know, Walt Mossberg is like the leading journalist on technology who covers Apple. And so Steve Jobs wanted to get his immediate reaction. Now that you've seen it, what do you think? And Walt Moss, one of Walt Mossberg's first questions, and this was on video, was how do you expect to sell books for the iPad when people can get them from Amazon for so much less. And Steve Jobs' response was, that won't be the case when the iPad comes out. God. Mm. And Walt Mossberg says, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean that's not going to be the case? And Steve Jobs says, because the publishers are going to make Amazon charge the same price for eBooks that everyone else does. And so this was kind of an amazing thing to hear. It sounds sort of like, oh, we're, in, we're working in the back channel to ensure that there's price fixing. Right. So there was some more backstory on this, apparently, in the Jobs biography that I haven't read yet. And all of that, that video interview and the bit in the Jobs book apparently is a, a major part of the government's case against the publishers. Um, in this charge that when they implemented what is so-called agency pricing with the release of the iPad, which is essentially agency pricing, says it's a new world, we've got eBooks now, it's not like the print world where you've got an inventory and returns and all this other stuff. You are the agent act selling on our behalf and you sell at the price we tell you to and you give us 70% and you keep 30%. And the terms are everyone Everyone sells at the same price, and we set that – publishers set that price. So now suddenly you don't – Amazon had to raise its prices. Prices have gone up for consumers. Um, if you are the sort of person who traditionally has shopped around looking for a good value, for any of the major publishers, you won't find any pricing differentiation in the market. One price across the market wherever you go to buy an ebook. For the last two years, we've had standardized ebook pricing, and prices have risen 25, 30%. Wow. Wow. At least. Hmm. And now, finally, the government is stepping in and saying, this doesn't seem right. <laughs> Something <laughs> about this is wrong. And it's interesting that apparently they haven't filed the lawsuit yet, but from what's come out is apparently this whole thing with Steve Jobs' comments and some things he told his uh, biographer uh, is now coming back to bite them. <laughs> but so, so 
If, I mean, he could walk up to Walt Mossberg and say, you know what, we've uh, discovered UFOs in, um, and we're, we're dissecting aliens, and that doesn't necessarily stand up in court, does it? Well, no, except we've seen, the, we've seen the fallout, which is that they acted together as a group. They raised their prices across the board, and they, uh, and they required anyone selling their books to sell at the same price. It happened. That's undeniable. Right. And pri- the interesting thing is prices went up for consumers, but publishers make less per unit per sale. So it worked out pretty well for them. Yeah, it sounds great. The customers but, are pissed. But, but, but they're mo- most concerned with – with inflating the perception of value. They just don't want to see consumers devalue the book. Even if it would make them more money, it's absurd. Right. Is this an issue, though, of uh, monopoly or collusion? Both, isn't it? They they haven't filed the suit yet, so it's hard to say exactly what will be alleged, but I think collusion would be the big one. This is absolute price fixing. So the thinking that went into it was we need to level the playing field so anyone can sell ebooks at the same price and Amazon won't be able to lose money on each sale and finance you know the building of the Kindle empire with their their hoard of cash that they have as being an enormous 100 million dollar 100 billion dollar company. The reality is, in the last two years since this kind of standardized pricing took effect, is it had a huge negative impact on independent digital booksellers. All of the major indie, which are largely genre-based, independent digital booksellers have had problems since the age. They lost a huge portion of the catalog they could sell to their customers because the negotiations with the major publishers that um, were the agency publishers drug on for over a year in some cases. Um, so the publishers on one hand said, we want to do this pricing, standardized pricing to increase, com- increase competition. And the reality of the deal was, when it went into effect, is they didn't have time to deal with the smaller players. So they had their books pulled from all these independent digital retailers. Now are it's pushed them off to selling indie authors and self-published authors more. Uh, we're actually seeing, if you look at the total number of digital booksellers, I think it's going down a little bit instead of increasing and consolidating amongst you know the big three, which right now is Amazon and uh, Barnes & Noble and maybe Apple. What three? Um, Kobo. Kobo. So what, what – so what's – what does the DOJ hope to uh, gain with the lawsuit, and then what might that help us consumers with? Well, it's hard to tell what the goddamn Obama administration is <laughs> hoping to accomplish. What with this time change and everything, who knows what they'll do next? <laughs> okay. Um, I think ultimately the thing that seems to be – one of the things it seems like they're focusing on is the impact it's had on the consumer. And so I think that what's going to happen is probably it's going to move to a different so – a bunch of stuff is apparently going on in the background where they're interviewing people at the different publishing firms. And it seems like some people are starting to turn <laughs> and maybe testify against the cartel. So it will be interesting to see what happens. But I think the end result is going to be that agency pricing is going to be killed 
possibly voluntarily. And it's going to move to pricing that is more similar to other forms of digital content like music, where you will have a price variance from different retailers, where probably the publisher is going to say, this is the price for the book, but the retailer can charge whatever they want without the kind of limitations that they have now, which means they could sell at a loss, as Amazon was doing before. Publishers will be guaranteed, though, that they get paid on their suggested price as opposed to the selling price. So Amazon, etc., would be selling at a loss if they were selling below that. Consumers should see lower ebook prices. Which, and I think that is the intent of this this potential lawsuit. So basically and, the Obama administration's anti-business while pretending to be pro-consumer. Right, exactly. <laughs> now let me give you an example of one of the things that is an artifact of this agent's so-called agency pricing. Okay, when a new book comes out that um, is a new release available in hardcover before it's ever come out in paper book, paperback, right. let's just say Reamd. <laughs> You know that when that book came out, if you were going to buy it in hardcover, you were going to pay 20 bucks for it, probably. Right. So should you expect to get the ebook at the same price for 9.99? Probably not. They charged a lot the first two weeks when that book was released. They were charging 17 dollars for the ebook. I think That's I paid 15, and that was only about a, two months a month ago. They dropped the price at the one month mark after all the hubbub with the formatting and everything. Right. No, the people who had the problems with the formatting never got a rebate. That's another, that's another issue. So in some respects, you can make the case for higher ebook pricing of new releases of high-demand titles that normally would be released at hardcover at a higher price. You know, the benefit of getting some people believe that there should be ebook windowing, which we don't want to see. I'd be willing to pay a slightly higher price for the ebook and not have to deal with a delayed release. Right. So anyway, that's understandable. Higher price for ebooks, new release, high demand title. That's understandable. Let's talk about some of the backlist, though, because when you start reading digital, you want to get some back. Backlist is going to be a, a potentially a big segment of what you read. Right. How much would you expect to pay for some of these backlist books that you could? Okay. So here's an example. Some of you know that my wife is in a uh, objectivist Scientologist book club. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah, you you didn't know that? Um, no. Okay, so the the objectivist Scientologist book club this past summer decided to read space operas, as they do, <laughs> and so Dune comes up as a book to read. Now, I follow along, so I'm looking for Dune as an ebook. The 40th anniversary edition of Dune is available through all the channels, normal sources, Amazon, Apple, Kobo, whatever. Agency publisher, so it's sold at the same price everywhere. And the edition that happens to be out is the ebook edition of the 40th anniversary. 40th anniversary, and this is probably a few years ago. 2006, but that's the, I think. 
That's the current version. So now it's been 46 years. So this book is not a new release. This book has been out forever. They've made their money back. What do you think an ebook of Dune sells for? I would expect before before you give the actual price, it would be like um, I don't know, say um, Murmur, right, or some uh, or some great album or an, a great film where it might be a little bit higher than a regular back catalog title, but still nowhere near a new release title price. So I don't know what eight ninety nine. What would you pay for an ebook edition of Dune, Tim? Um, for Dune, I wouldn't pay for. Oh, so. you're wrong. Dune's awesome. <laughs> no, actually, I, I never I never got past the first hundred pages. So mm-hmm. um, maybe an ebook I could find more readable, and uh, I could get through it. But I wouldn't Boo! pay more. I'd, I'd be willing to give it another chance, but I wouldn't pay more than nine nine ninety nine. Okay, I'm looking at the current edition right now on Amazon, and this is going to be the same price everywhere because it is... Agency-priced. Agency-priced. It's fourteen ninety nine. Jesus. Yeah. You, where you can get the paperback, the paperback is twelve twenty four. This is... No, no, no. This is Sorry, CD. The this paperback, is... if I went onto Amazon right now and looked for a used copy of a paperback, I could probably get it for a dollar. Or you could walk into any book used bookstore in America and see a shelf full of used copies of Dune for twenty five cents. Or Tim, exactly. you could borrow mine for free. Yeah, but yours is so you well. Go to the library. <laughs> Jim's your pages are probably falling out now. No, You've no, read no. It like twenty times. I have read it like twenty times, but that's that's uh, so. So basically, the, the the agency pricing model is treating it like when CDs came out. The treating the digital editions as CDs versus vinyl, as opposed to older uh, older versions of like DVDs. There was never any, you know, uh, high priced version of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, probably. And you know, the interesting thing about this is, if you're gonna re- if you're gonna read Dune again, and you're gonna want the ebook edition because of the convenience, right? If you saw a fourteen ninety nine price. For, for a 40-year-old book that you've bought how many times, would you not think to go look someplace and, and find a free download somewhere? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. And there are plenty of sources. So in some ways, if agency pricing is killed, it may actually bring sanity to ebook pricing. I act, think it could actually have... Publishers believe that if agency pricing is invalidated, it's the end of the business as they know it. <laughs> yeah, it means a better what business. Reali- what they don't realize is that's a good thing. <laughs> this may actually have an, ad- uh, an adverse impact on piracy, meaning reducing piracy by bringing sanity to things like this example. All right. It's been pile on Rush Limbaugh week. As not only is he continuing to lose sponsors over Sandra Flute comments, now various musical artists whose music he uses as bumpers and beds are requesting that he stop using their music. This week, well-known liberals like the fabulous Thunderbirds, Peter Gabriel, and those pinko commies in Rush have asked him to stop using their music in his show. Tim, we're always hearing one musician or another complain their, mu- their music is being misused by some politician or entertainer or entertainer, goddammit, or entertainer or whatever, but... Isn't that kind of tough? I mean, once a song is out there, it's out there. You can't really control what happens to it after that, can you? Yeah, there's absolutely a there, – there is an argument for fair use and the fact that you have put it out there and you don't really um, – they're not playing whole songs. Normally, they're playing clips, and fair use usually covers you for like 30 seconds of a song or 45 seconds. 
So there is some argument against that. I think in in I don't know what it I, I'm not sure what happens from a legal point of view, but from like a um, ethical from an ethical point of view, an artist, I think, takes the stand in order to separate themselves from the subject matter. So they put that out there and they say, please stop using it. Um, because I, we don't want to be associated with it, and whether they have a legal standing or not, I'm not sure, but at least they've put that out there so they can see that they, it doesn't reflect badly on them. So. I mean, if you're the fabulous Thunderbirds, aren't you glad that anybody's playing any of your songs at this point? Um, probably. I wouldn't mind so much. Um, the guys in Rush tend to be kind of Ayn Randian in their approach to politics, so I don't know if Rush is really uh that far off from a lot of their stuff but um the uh probably with the the, the thing is the thing with rush though and i mean let, let's be honest rush the artist rush, rush the band or rush, rush the, the inter- <laughs> rush the limbo we won't focus on him too much because this is a larger issue but you know he's been saying larger than rush what's larger, larger than rush yeah actually i don't know <laughs> not much and jim said piling it would take a a lot to pile on Rush too, to before you know it cause any damage. But uh, so basically, what I was saying is now that I've been derailed, is that um, what was I saying? <laughs> <laughs> you were saying you love Rush. Yeah, it's your big Rush Limbaugh fan, and you really hate the fact that this is happening to him at all. No. <laughs> yeah, I love Rush. No, what I was saying is the fact that Rush has been doing saying spouting whatever stupid crap for 20 years i mean and i find it a bit strange that all of a sudden people are saying oh because he attacked a woman or whatever he's been doing this crap for years it's not like this is news why because it got personal this one time i guess well that's why i kind of think this is a weird story and that this i mean this is the thing that put us over the top on rush limbaugh Exactly. Well, it's, it's the era, though. I mean, all that other stuff happened before everyone else, you know, all of the people who were offended could stand up and band together and start attacking his sponsors in on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else. So going back to the music thing, yep. um, does do, – is it just does it just seems silly when these when when a musician says please stop? And this goes all the way back to Bruce Springsteen asking Ronald Reagan not to play "Born in the USA." Um, I don't. I don't think it's silly. I think it makes a lot of sense actually, um, because it, it is. Otherwise, it is approval of you know the message. So, you know, you're basically you're placing a picture of Ronald Reagan, and the soundtrack behind him is Bruce Springsteen's "Born in the USA," which has. No, I mean, zero relevance. And it's just taking that one, it's taking an aspect, a line of a song and trying to marry that to the image of this politician. And it's kind of, you know, it's it's kind of like sampling. You know, remember when um, when hip hop first started, when raps first started, it was predominantly just taking samples and laying your lyrics over the beats of a sampling an artist. And for financial reasons that came to an end when the record companies intervened. But um, that that's kind of a, that's not really a good analogy because oftentimes those were, you know, kind of simpatico kind of things, artists with an, 
married up with an artist. But when you're taking a politician and marrying it up with an, an artist, you get a really mixed message, and it just doesn't quite work. But so let me let me let me ask you this, Jim: If you are not allowed to grab a song, original recording even from any you know any artist, and use it in an advertisement for a product. Why should you be able to do, to do the same in an advertisement for a politician? It's the same thing. And so an artist should be able to say, you know what, no. This is where we draw the line. So it, yeah, that, then, that's a really good point. So why? So maybe the question is, is why can't they use it for a product if we're talking about fair use? It's not fair use. It's, li- it's licensing for a commercial endeavor. Fair use yeah, only. Fair use covers news and things like that. Yeah, it's, it's not for a commercial. And, and believe me, nothing gets more commercial than a political campaign. It, it doesn't, but it's not a product per se. It is a product. Is a the know, Republican a Party and and Rush Rush Limbaugh is a product. But Rush it's Lim- absolutely a product. But corporations are people. But technically, Rush is covered by the fact that he's a radio show. Right and yeah, and, and uh, only because they've probably licensed the blanket license of uh, of uh, music published by BMI and ASCAP. Yeah, right. So, bottom line, I I personally I think it's a good idea that artists disassociate from from hate speech and misogynist, homophobic speech, whatever whatever the form, you know. So, how come this this issue of the music being appropriated by um, interests who have the exact opposite worldview of the artist only ever seems to flow from progressive liberal musicians to conservative politicians. You never get a musician, you never get a Democrat using Ted Nugent. That's true, although somebody, I heard the other day, somebody using the stranglehold, um, the stranglehold Tune I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that yeah. Bill Clinton wanted to use Wang Ding Sweet Putang. <laughs> Gotta scream at the top of your lungs just to get out what you want them to hear. Don't you know where I'm coming from? Black cat living across the way. Got more in him than we could ever say. Don't you know where I'm coming from? And now it's time for In the Mix. This week, the handicapable Kirk Biglioni tells us what's in his mix. So it was going to do In the Mix. It wasn't going to be a problem. Um, but then, of course, iTunes went crazy. And now I literally cannot even get to my mix. That's oh, wow. So are you, before, are you listening to before, CDs? Before iTunes went... No, I'm listening to iTunes in the cloud. Mm. Which is not current to the current mix because about two weeks ago I passed my twenty five thousand song cloud limit. <laughs> no matter you, just, you spent like so what happened? You spent yeah. two you spent two months trying not to pass your limit. Right, but I knew it was going to happen, so now it's happened. So now things after a certain date don't get uploaded to the cloud. So I've got a different mix versus the cloud mix. So I can go to the cloud mix to listen to music now. But I don't get the most recent things I've added because when I look in iTunes, when I can get iTunes to come up without crashing, it says next to the track, limit exceeded. Oh, wow. 
I've exceeded the limit of music. It's like passing the speed limit. I've passed the music limit. No, I've no, you have I, to be able to delete from the cloud, correct? Yes. Yeah, well, this is what I need to do. But unfortunately, instead of focusing on that, now I've got bigger problems I have to deal with because it, my computer is going crazy. That's It's more okay, like the, the, the speed of light, isn't it? Anyway, I do have three things that are in the mix that I can that I've actually been listening to. Uh, I'm going to go with the new Ben Queller. Go mm. Flag. Solid pop songwriter. Ben, solid, good album from Ben Queller. You don't know what you mean. You don't know what you mean. You don't know what you mean. Mean to me. Church bells ring with the mazes up and bad. I hear the crowd go wild. All it did was touch his hair. Oh, and meanwhile, Carol Dota stood up and said, I won't be ignored. My so far favorite album of the year, I cannot recommend highly enough. Temple Beautiful by Chuck Prophet. Have you guys heard this? No. Chuck Prophet, keyboard player for Green on Red, solo album, tribute to San Francisco, phenomenal album. I've been listening to this album as an album regularly, daily, during my recovery. That okay. good. There's a song, uh, some of these songs sound like, uh, like lost kink songs. Some of these songs are just, you know, in the what you would expect, more of the... Uh, you know, 80s Paisley Underground psychedelic sort of sound. Uh, the, the standout track for me is Willie Mays is up at bat. Awesome, yeah. awesome song. Could be a baseball project song. Third, I'm going to say that I have been listening to a weird mix of songs from an early 80s into early 90s Australian band called The Died Pretty. Oh, yeah. In particular, Out of the Unknown, of course, and the great B-side from that single, Mirror Blues. Yep. And this U.S. release called Lost. Listening to Chuck Prophet caused me to go back and start listening to some Green on Red, like Gravity Talks and Gas Food and Lodging, and Rain Parade, uh, another band, L.A. psychedelic band of the era. And then listening to the Died Pretty in with all of those things, I realized how much they actually were in that same genre. They're from that era, but obviously they're Australian, but they totally fit into that sound. They could have been from L.A., 
Yeah, those records. Every good way, not a bad way. Lost and every brilliant eye is another one that's, that I love from the Died Pretty. All those records, they're just they're just amazing. Totally agree with that. And it's hard to track them down these days. They need some. Uh, they need a good reissue campaign. Well, let's get one going for them. Oh, sir. Just one more thing. One more thing. Tim. Jim Kirk, I just have a question for you. Who's, whose world do you live in? Is it your world? Um, I thought it was Sarah Palin's world. No. No, you'd be wrong. It's William Shatner's world. Oh. <laughs> Really? I saw William Shatner last night at the Pantages Theater in Hollywood. And, uh, well, I, I was there, um, and many other luminaries were there as well, including the blue-suited, very tall, very red-haired star of SpongeBob the movie, David Hasselhoff. <laughs> and just think, just think about this for one minute. I was in the same building with two of the greatest people in the world, William Shatner and David Hasselhoff. Anyway, they, um, you could have been any hooker inside the, in the 1980s, couldn't you have been? Maybe. Um, although uh, Shatner didn't go into that in his uh, show, he ah. basically ran through his life, his career, his acting with with clips and uh, funny stories, and it was a great night had by all. And we were um, we were enthralled for nearly two hours. Sadly, it was a one night show. And I think he's taken it to a few other cities. It's been on Broadway for a while, but if you get a chance, if he comes to your town, I think he's in San Francisco tonight. Uh, it just came to our town. <laughs> which is Sunday. Not going to be on the internet? See it. Um, maybe he'll film it. Who knows? Netflix? Shatner's World. One more thing. Kirk? It's baseball season. Yes. While I've been recovering, I've been watching spring training on Apple TV using uh, MLB. Um, so here's the interesting thing that's changing with the MLB app this year. They've actually they've actually done the right thing this year. So in past years, you had to pay fourteen ninety nine to get the MLB app, right? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't universal, so you'd have to get it on an iPad and an iPhone. And it didn't matter if you already had a subscription to MLB TV. You still had to pay for it. So the pay an extra 30 bucks if you wanted it on all your devices. Right. In addition to MLB TV subscription. Now, it's universal. That's great. And it's free. And if you want to do the uh, just get the audio, it's fourteen ninety nine as an in-app purchase. But if you've already got MLB TV, you just log in connect to your account awesome this is perfect this is better this than is... what we were hoping for this is the ultimate this is what it should be i'm thinking this is great so i'm ready spring training season's coming up we've got manny mania <laughs> after the 50 games of suspension we've got says pettis the cuban kid defector hit a home run in his first game yesterday i got to watch it awesome 
So Manny Media coming sometime in uh, June, probably. Well, you know, he may be <laughs> traded before then, but that doesn't matter. So I'm thinking, you know what? This is such a good deal. I'm going to download the app to my Android phone. Uh-oh. Because <laughs> I don't have my uh, my parole doesn't come up till the end of the month. But now that I've bought the new iPad... Um, Oh, you bought the new iPad? I bought. I pre-ordered the new iPad. Yes, I pre-ordered. iPad 1, iOS 5, unhappy combination. Sort of like iPhone 3G with... iOS 5. Oh, iOS, iOS 4. 4. Yes. yes. Similar thing. Similar thing. Say no more. But I've had my iPad for two years. And I use it you know, daily, and I'm very happy with it, and I will be extremely happy with a Retina Display iPad. So... Yeah. That's neither here nor there. Oh, the porn itself would be worth the, worth so the I'm price. So I'm going to download the – I'm going to ignore the porn, Jim. I'm still <laughs> on. I'm downloading the MLB app for my iPhone, for my goddamn Android phone, not my imaginary iPhone, and it's 15 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and the only thing I can figure is because the, the in-app – purchase uh, in on the Android marketplace is too screwed up for MLB to deal with and so they're still doing it the old way there so anyway I, I'm very happy because I got permission to uh, go get MLB TV once I get my new job so Ooh. so that means with the 3G iPad I should be able to watch giant games Giants games on my commute home yeah <laughs> <laughs> unless they're blacked out, or unless you black out after hitting the car in front of you. Whatever with that. Watching the game. I'm figuring out a way to Velcro the iPad to my dashboard so it won't be so disruptive. No, I, I think that I think we need to develop a <clears throat> iPad holder for the dashboard so you can use it to watch TV while you drive. I mean, sorry, I mean, look at your uh, internal navigation. Exactly. One more thing. Hey, have you guys heard that new Van Halen album? Yeah. You know what? I kind of like it. It's not bad. <laughs> There's an album? It, it's it, actually pretty good. It's pretty good. It's not as great as our first four albums, but you can imagine an alternate universe where this was the album that came after 1984, right, Tim? Oh, oh my God. I was listening to it, and I was saying, okay, this song's pretty good. And then yeah. the next song comes in, oh, this song's pretty good. And then, like all the way through the album, like, God, there's, like, not, there's no bad songs. The funny really? thing is... Had it come out in 1986, being, you know, indie rock kid, I probably wouldn't have loved it, but it, at least it wouldn't have caused me to shake my damn head like I did every single time I heard Van Hagar or David Lee Ross solo albums. Right. So, yeah, no, um, it rocks. It rocks! You know, based on that description, Jim, I might try the new Van Halen album. Unfortunately, I've exceeded the limits of music. <laughs> No, Eddie Van Halen's guitar solo on Eruption exceeded the limits of music. Everything else has been post-music. And that does it for episode 32 of Media Loper Bebop. I'd like to thank my co-host Tim Gaskell. Reaching for the Guinness now. And Kirk Biglione. I need a third beer after this. Oh, I do too. Um, and I'd like to thank our audience, whoever you are, for listening once again to the end of this. And I'm Jim Connolly, and we will catch you guys again next week. Same Bebop time, same Bebop channel. <laughs>